Uh, many of you know, if you know me at all, you know, as a big basketball fan, I loved to play basketball as a kid growing up uh, in high school. I was uh, very serious about basketball. I played all the time, went to camps, worked out a lot, did all these things. Uh, my brother and I used to do all these crazy workouts. We had shoes with big platforms on the front that helped you jump higher and run faster and all these things that we did. And uh, in that time, I used to read articles about different basketball players and different people, really good players, and the workouts they did and what they did to get as good as they were. And I remember years ago, there was a, there was a guy named Carl Malone that played in the NBA. If you know anything about the NBA, you probably know who he is. If you don't, I'll just tell you real briefly, Carl Malone just got elected to the Hall of Fame. He's considered one of the 50 greatest players to ever play basketball. And uh, Carl Malone was well known for his work ethic. And I remember reading about his workouts because the guy was just crazy, the stuff he would do. And, and I went back and I was looking up one this week as I was thinking about that. And it said his, his off-season workout, so in the off-season when the NBA season is not going on, he'd get up every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning and he'd do a Stairmaster for an hour on the highest setting. Then he'd go to a nearby uh, high school and he'd run sprints. Then he'd run the stadium stairs. Then he'd go lift weights. Then he'd go home and he'd do the Stairmaster again for another hour, and then he'd take a short break, and then he'd go to teach two uh, cardio classes at a local fitness club. That was his normal day in the off-season for Carl Malone. And so as I was thinking back on that, and I remember, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here because I remember reading the article years ago, but there was a young player on his team. Carl Malone played for the Utah Jazz, and there was a young guy on the team, and he made the comment of something to the effect, I wish I had the work ethic that Carl Malone has. And somebody asked him about that, and he kind of sneered and went, well, whatever. He knows where I am. He can come work out with me whenever he wants. And so he had this kind of view of, well, well come on. If you want to do this, come do it with me. I just heard this week, actually, that he just got hired to, be, uh, to work with players on an NBA team, and that's probably a lot of the reason why. But I thought about that this morning because of the verses we just read in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9 and what Paul says about running and, and with endurance and those things that we're going to think about and look at this morning. And so if you've been with us, you know we've been going through uh, 1 Corinthians. We've been making our way through. Last week we were in chapter 8 and part of 9 and part of 10. And then to the, today we're going to take the end of 9 and go really through most of chapter 10. And so as we've been walking through, you know, Paul's arguments all go together and so what we've been seeing is 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's a church that he helped found, and then he was the pastor there for a while. Then he moves on to other places, and he's corresponding with them, uh, addressing things that are problems and things that are going on in the church. And so he's writing back, and, and last week what we saw is, is he's talking to them. He's telling them to, to die to themselves and put others before themselves. You know, what, what was behind that is there was petty arguments going on in Corinth. There was all kinds of issues and people weren't getting along to the effect of some people were suing each other. Some people were saying, no, 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 I'm with Paul and I really like Paul. And some people were going, no, 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 I'm with Apollos and I'm with this guy. And they were, they were arguing and they weren't getting along and all these things. And, and what's behind that is the insinuation as you read through uh, 1 Corinthians and you see what's going on is you see that they're neglecting the essential things for non-essential things. They're making things that aren't really that important the center. And then it's leading to all sorts of problems and all, all types of things. And so last week we saw Paul saying, well, well, quit worrying so much about yourself. Even if you're right or even if you have a case, sometimes it's better just to, to die to yourself and put others first and seek their best. And so we were talking about that last week and looking at those things. And so today we're going to follow on in that because he's, he's told them things to do and he's correcting them. And then he really this morning what we're looking at is he's telling them kind of how to go about that. 
how to get after it and do these things and really follow him. As he says at the end of this section, as Chris just read for us, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To follow Paul and what he's saying. And he's saying, so look at what I'm doing and, and here's some practical advice on what it looks like. And so that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. And Paul uses this analogy. I brought up Carl Malone and, and the basketball players and the working out because he uses the analogy of an athlete here in, his, in this text and the way he says it. And so it goes perfectly when you read through the New Testament, the way the New Testament talks, this, this image comes up often uh, of physical working out. You see it even in the connotation of so many verses. Just listen, a couple of verses in the New Testament. Luke chapter 13 says we are to strive to enter the narrow gate or in John six labor for the food that endures to eternal life. First Corinthians 15 later in this, this letter, Paul will say, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. Philippians 3, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Titus 2, Christ gave himself to purify for himself a people zealous for good deeds. Or Hebrews 6, show earnestness in realizing the full assurance to the hope to the end. And so what you start to see over and over is this idea of striving and working hard and being diligent and being zealous and steadfast and laboring and all these things. And it's all throughout the New Testament. This picture of working at your salvation, not at your salvation, but at the sanctification, right? We're saved by what Christ does alone, completely and totally. We put our faith in him, but then we begin to work hard to follow him, to work that out and to show that in our lives. And so that's what Paul's getting at today. And so what I want us to think about is, is this, and this is the way we'll go at it. He's going to give us some practical advice on how to do that. And then he's going to give us at the beginning of chapter 10, really a warning of what happens when we don't do that. And so I want us to start with the what happens when we don't do that so that the weight of what he's telling us is is fully felt. And so that's going to be our first question as we work. What happens when we don't do what Paul says? When we just decide I'm saved by grace alone, I'm saved by what Jesus did for me. Great. That's set. Now I can float along. What happens when we take that posture? That's going to be the first part. Then the second, what does Paul tell us to do? Think about what it really looks like to follow. And then lastly, why? And when we consider why, I want to think about it two ways. One, the outcomes that he gives us, but also the motivation on why we do that. All right, so let's go back to the, to the first question. What happens when we don't? And, and as we, before we even look at chapter 10, what he says there at the beginning, there's a couple things that are so foundational that we need to all, I say this frequently, but we always have to have this under what we're saying. And it's simply what he says at the end of the chapter in 10 of, of whatever you, uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's a great memory verse, great one to memorize, pretty easy verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Do all for God's glory. That's what we were made for. We say that often. We were made in God's image and for his glory, right? The, the catechism questions that we talk about, what, what is our only hope in life and death? It is that we are not our own. We belong to God. We are made to glorify God and to be about him. The problem is each and every one of us is, is exchanged the truth for a lie. And at different times in our life, we've made it all about ourselves. Sin is replacing God with something else, putting something in his rightful place. And when we do that, it leads to all kinds of problems. That's all of us. We all have sin in us and through us. That's our heart. We want to twist it and make it about me instead of about God. And we do it all the time. And when we do, what happens is, and what I'm getting at is when we don't follow what Paul says, there's no floating. We're never neutral. If we remove God from the center place, then we become the center and we're going to chase other things. 
We're going to look to put substitutes in that spot because we were made for his glory. So there's no floating. You're either seeking hard after God or you're trying to fill it with something else. And there's no in between. And I say that just because that's under what Paul's going to say here in chapter 10. That's a truth that's all throughout scripture. And so look at what he says with that in mind in chapter 10. Look at verses 1 to 5. And so he's talking about what happened in the book of Exodus with following Moses. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. And then verse 5, this warning, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased and they were overthrown in the wilderness. And so what Paul's doing and what he does often in a lot of his letters is he goes back and he looks at the Old Testament and he makes an example of what happened in the Old Testament. And he's, remember, with, with same hearts in the Old Testament as us today, same thing. So he goes back and, and what he's telling them is just like us, those that were taken out of Egypt that God rescued, it was fully, totally, completely by God's grace that they were rescued. God came down and did a work and he pulled them out of Egypt and he brought them out and he did all these things and they saw it. And they were kept by God and he was providing for them. He talks about the parting of the Red Seas and following the cloud and the, the food and the water that God miraculously provided. And he's saying everything they needed and wanted and God was giving to them by his grace. And yet they began to float. They began to not seek God and not follow him. And then you get to verse five. And nevertheless, most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And what you get is this picture of when we start to float. Yes, I'm saved by grace. Look at what God's done. Everything's good. Now I'll just go find some other things to occupy my time. When we begin to presume on God's grace, bad things happen. And that's what he's pointing to in chapters, I mean, verses one to five there. That's what happened in the wilderness. The people started to, to grumble and complain and all these things happen. It's the same thing that's happening to the church in Corinth, right? That's why he uses that example. They're fighting they're complaining. They're not getting along. Some are getting into sexual immorality. Some are going to the pagan temples. They're doing all these things. They're doing the same things. They're presuming on God's grace. And let me just remind you, Scripture says over and over that our actions are an overflow of what's going on in our heart. That how real God is to us and the way we're following him, it comes out in the way we live and we go. And so he's saying, be very careful what you're doing here. And so when we think about this idea that we start to float and, 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 that, and that's really what's happening, just kind of sit back, and you don't stay neutral. Other things start to creep in and, and just look at the language he uses and, and go back to chapter nine for just a second there at the, the end of verse 27. He says, I'm disciplined my body. I'm keeping under control. I'm striving for it. I'm doing all these things. And he says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Right? That there's disqualification that can come. And, or, or you get to verse 5 here and he talks about how some were overthrown in the wilderness. Or if you look at chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we'll say it this way, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That each day you're to get up and seek to follow hard after God and everything. There's no floating. And so that's what you start to see. And I want to, you know, it's not a pretty picture when you start to see that in the picture that's painted there. And I want you to see the signs that that's happening because he tells you that in verse six 
in verse 7 and verse 8. He even says, now these things took place as an example for us. Like Paul always does, he goes back to the Old Testament and he points to these things and he says, this is an example. I want to show you this so that you don't make the same mistake. And so here's the example. He says, an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. And so what you get this picture of the steps that are there when we start to float and then we start to put other things in God's place. And the first thing that happens is you start to desire evil. When God is functionally removed from his throne in your life, then you're going to look to fill it up with other things. Now, here's the hard part. Oftentimes we fill it up with good things. Right? Because what he says happens here is they desire evil and then do not be idolaters as some of them were. That desiring evil and idolatry are always going to go arm in arm. Because what happens is we take things and we remove God and we try to put other things in his place. And idolatry is so hard because oftentimes what happens is we take good things and we make them the ultimate thing. Say that frequently because that is so deceitful in our heart. Right? People say, yeah, that's great. Put your marriage first. Love your wife. Yes, absolutely. Love your wife. But don't you dare love your wife more than you love God. Because if you do, then your wife's becoming an idol in your life. Same thing with your kids. The example he gives here, the same thing as sex. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Sex is a good gift given by God to be enjoyed within marriage. It's a good thing. But when you take it and you take it out of the rightful place and you begin to put it in God's place and it becomes this place in your life, then it's an idol. And it becomes desiring after evil. And that's what they were doing. And so you see how those go together. When we begin to desire evil, the reason is because we've removed God from the center. We're not finding our joy. We're not finding our identity. We're not finding all those things that are to be in Christ. And we're putting something else in that place. And it causes all sorts of problems. And then what you see is the next step. So they they begin to to desire evil. It says they become idolaters. And then it says in verse 8, they indulged in sexual immorality as some of them did. And so then we begin to indulge in different sins because we've removed God and we're seeking to fill up the God-shaped hole, right? You've heard that before. Blaise Pascal coined that phrase. We have a God-shaped hole and if we're not filling it with God, we're going to seek to fill it with something else. And so then we desire evil and then we begin to indulge. And what happens is it's a vicious cycle. It's where addiction comes in. When you start to try to fill that hole with something that gives you pleasure but can't ultimately satisfy you. Because when we do that, it'll just go round and round. Yes, oh, that was kind of good, but I'm not satisfied. I'll try it again. And I'll try it again. And I'll try it again. And that's what happens. And then you end up in verse 10 that they were grumbling and complaining. You know why they're grumbling and complaining? Because those things can never satisfy you. You'll go round and round forever and you'll never get anywhere. And so you see how idolatry and that desiring evil go hand in hand. That's what's under all of it. We're We're functionally replacing God from his throne with other things. And that's always going to end badly. And so the picture that you see here is is this, this vicious cycle that goes when we begin to float. There is no floating. It's why God knew what he was doing when he gave us the Ten Commandments. And the first one is no other gods and no idols. That's why he started there. That's so foundational to everything else. And so that's the picture that's there. There's no just sitting and wait, oh, I'm good, now I'll just sit back. 
It's an active participation in your sanctification and walking out your faith. It's what, what Genesis 4, 3 says. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, you but you must rule over it. Right? There's always that, that temptation everywhere. And if you're not fully seeking God, you're going to begin to seek something else. And so that's the picture, the ugly picture that we see of what happens if we just kind of float it out. And so let's look at what Paul says. What is the answer? And the answer in a lot of ways is, is to get after it. <laughs> that's what he's saying in verses 24 to 27 of chapter 9. Look at what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be qualified. And so what Paul says and what he points us to is this analogy of the athlete or the boxer or the runner. And, and his audience would have well known this. They, they knew of the Olympic Games. They had been going on for a thousand years when Paul writes this. Everybody knew about the Olympics. It was a big deal. It would be the same as, as making the analogy or saying today, well, you're never going to earn a gold medal by laying on the couch. Right? And everybody go, yeah, yeah, you're right. We, we know that. We know what an Olympic athlete looks like. It's the same thing he's saying here. And so what Paul says is, so run that you may obtain it. Begin to do some things to put practical disciplines and self-control into your life to follow after God hard. And so he begins to tell us, basically, you don't float along. And he gives us this picture of, of follow me, which he'll say at the end, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so I want you to think about what that means, the, the methods or the disciplines or the things we begin to do if we're really going to follow after God the way he says, if we're really going to run that we may obtain it or not box as one in the air or running aimlessly, but really having focus and going after God. And what does that look like? And so when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus, then, then it would make sense to look at Jesus. To look at what he does and the way he lived and what, how we seek him. And so I want to give you just a couple. These are not going to be any surprise what I'm going to tell you. But I want, I want you to hear this. I always say this whenever we start to talk about spiritual disciplines and the way it looks to follow him. And please hear me when I say this. The methods are a means to an end, not the end. You don't get saved by reading your Bible a whole lot. You read your Bible so that you see Jesus. So that you see him more fully. We're seeking to have communion with Christ. That's what we're going hard after, not a bunch of things we try to do. You can never be saved by working really hard at these things. It's, it's the opposite. Because you're saved and because you have faith in Christ and because of what he's done for you, you want to seek him fully and completely. When you just think of it this way, you're, you're, you're showing where your faith lies in the way that you walk out that faith, right? If, if I wake up in the morning and I go, I don't really need to pray, think about what that says. I'm good on my own. I don't really need to spend time with God today. And so I want you just to think about these practical things that we do when we make disciplines and we work hard at and we begin to put into our life to help us seek Him fully. And so the first thing I would say, you know, Paul says, uh, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so the first thing I would just say to you is you pray. 
You don't have to look very long in the Gospels to see what prayer was in Jesus' life. The sinless, perfect God-man, and he's praying all the time. Everything he does is like, okay, guys, I got to see you later. Going out to pray all night. You see it over and over. I've been reading through uh, uh, Andrew Murray's With Christ in the School of Prayer. If you've never read that, you should. It's well worth your time. We actually have one on the bookshelf outside. I know there's one left, so whoever's in the back, Michael, you got the best shot at getting that when this is over, right? And so it's, it's, it, I just recommend it to you. All it is is him going through what Jesus says about prayer. And he likes to point out in that book that Jesus never taught the disciples how to teach or preach, but he did teach them how to pray. And so you see that all the way through Jesus' life. It's all through the New Testament. Follow me as I follow Christ is what Paul says. You look at what Paul writes. Colossians 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. First Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing over and over and over. And so you make prayer a vital part of your life. That's functionally showing where your trust is. Right? If we're going, I don't really have time to pray. I mean, just think about what that says. And so the first thing I'd say is, is pray. The second thing I'd tell you is you have to be in God's word. Listen to this in, in John 15, what Jesus says. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You've probably heard that before. That's a pretty famous verse. We say that often. But I want you to think about what he just said. Jesus is saying the word is synonymous with his person. If you abide in me and my word in you, he uses them together. And he begins to show us and teach us and tell us what that looks like of, of following him to be in the word and be having that come. Just the same thing. You look at Jesus' life in prayer, but look at it in the way he looks at the word. Every single time they try to come and trick Jesus, he does the same thing. Right? The Pharisees show up. Hey, Jesus, what about? And he goes, well, it is written. And he just quotes scripture to him over and over. Or they'll go, well, what about this? And they think they've got him. And they'll go, well, it's because you don't understand the, word, the scriptures. And then he'll tell them. And he says it over and over. He'll even pray it this way in John 17. Sanctify them. This is Jesus praying to God the Father for us. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Draw them closer to you, God. Your word is truth. And so we see that over and over. Those just practical disciplines of seeking God's face is going to be in prayer and in his word. And then the last thing I'd tell you, and there's a lot of things we could say, but just real briefly this morning, a few huge keys that are all throughout the New Testament is, is fellowship with others. The whole of the New Testament is written in a way that is, that is written to people together as a community. You can't do or take or say a lot of the things that are in the New Testament on your own. It doesn't work. You can't exhort one another and hold each other up and hold each other accountable and, and all those things that it tells us to do over and over on your own. And so you need to be in fellowship with others for that to happen. And so you take all this together and these are the, this, the disciplines you begin to put into place. Right? You are saved completely and totally by the finished work of Jesus Christ. He dies and he lays down his life for you and he gives it to you as a free gift. And then your sanctification, you have an active process in. That doesn't mean you're saving yourself. It doesn't mean that you're being saved by your works, but it does mean that God wants you to be involved in this. And so you begin to practically put things into place. I want you just to think about what Jesus has purchased for you. 
You have the privilege of fellowship with a perfect, sinless creator God of the universe. That's what he's given you. And the reality is oftentimes we'd rather watch TV than spend time with him. I'd rather read the newspaper than open his eternal word that will draw me closer to him. And so these things that are there, he tells us. You know, I think of, I started with talking about Carl Malone and his workouts and those things. And I think sometimes we make things way more complicated. Like the young player going, oh, I wish I had the work ethic of Carl Malone. He goes, well, come on. You know where I'm working out. Let's go. It's the same thing when we look at scripture. Oh, I wish I was as spiritual as that guy over there. Well, pray and read your Bible. Seek to be around other believers. People will say that often. I wish I knew the Bible as well as so-and-so. Oh, that guy knows everything. You know why? Because he reads his Bible every day. (laughs) He spends lots and lots of time seeking God's face and praying and asking him. It's not like this this mystery of how do you begin to see him more fully. You spend time with them. It's like any relationship. And so you get this picture of of these disciplines that we begin to build in and self-control. And now, if you sit there today and you go, I don't pray. I read my Bible maybe once a week because I feel guilty about it. I don't want to beat you up. I want you to feel like, oh, I can't believe I'm not doing that. But I would say to you this, start today. And that doesn't mean when somebody stands up and says, you need to pray and you need to read your Bible. Well, okay, I got to go home and I got to pray for two hours and I got to read all of Leviticus. That's not where you start. So, so wake up early tomorrow and read, read your Bible for 10 minutes. Set your alarm clock 15 minutes earlier. Get up and read two chapters and pray about it. I think of a, I don't remember the lady's name, but there was a fitness lady years ago that was, that was this great big overweight woman that hundreds of pounds overweight. And she decided one day, her her story was, I'm going to walk to the end of the driveway today. And then the next day I'm going to walk to my neighbor's driveway. And then the next day I'm going to walk to the end of the street. And she started to do that. She lost like 200 pounds and became this fitness guru. And it's a silly example, but she started by walking to the end of the driveway. And so oftentimes we hear, oh, I should be in prayer and I should be this prayer warrior and I should do all these things. And we jump to, I need to pray two hours to do that. Pray five minutes tomorrow. Just show up and ask them and begin to make those disciplines. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with like working out or eating right or whatever it is. They say it takes three weeks of doing it for it to become a habit. And so set your alarm clock 10 minutes early for the next three weeks and get up and begin to pray. Spend time in the word and just begin to do it. And so the last part I want us to consider for just a second is why. Why do it? Look at a couple of things that Paul says are outcomes when we do. Look at verse 27 again. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, I make every effort and I go after this because I don't want to be somebody who's walking around talking a good talk and my life doesn't show it. I want my life to be to the glory of God. And that's what he says at the end, whatever I do, whether I eat or drink or any of it, that it may be to the glory of God. He says, I don't want people to see me and go, what a hypocrite. Yeah, he's talking about how great Jesus is, but it sure doesn't look like he believes that. He say the same thing at the end of the chapter. Uh, I, I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. That I would be a good witness for Christ and people would see him through my life. 
But that's not all he says. Look at verse 25. Every athlete exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. We waste so much time on things that don't matter at all. And yet the things that have eternal significance get put to the side. That's what Paul's saying. And that's what he's pushing us to. And don't waste time on things that don't matter. Don't spend countless hours in front of the television. We're in the middle of a world of people that don't know Jesus. And we'd rather get home and go, I don't want to deal with anybody. I'll just watch TV. Really? So Paul says, don't put these things into place. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. But then lastly, I want us just to consider and always want us to end here and make sure that we see this so complete. The motivation for doing it, it cannot be I've got to read my Bible and I've got to study and I've got to pray so God's pleased with me. You put your faith in Christ, he's already pleased with you because it's all Jesus. You've already got it. He loves you infinitely. He's not going to love you anymore if you get up tomorrow and you read your Bible more. And so it can't be that. The motivation has to be because of who he is. Because he deserves your devotion. Because he's your creator and your redeemer who loves you infinitely. You should gladly get up to spend time with him. That he loved me so much that he would lay his life down for me. And I go, ah, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. I don't really need to spend, I, I got it. No, I don't. I don't got it. And I need to wake up every day on my face pleading that he would do it. That has to be the motivation. Because if it's not, you're just trying to earn works and it's still about you and he's not on his throne. And so I please, please hear that. Of all the things, yes, there's functional disciplines we do and we want to get after and we want to work hard at it, but it has to be because of who he is and what he's already done, not what we're trying to do for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you are loving and you are good. We thank you that you are patient with us. So often we don't work as hard as we should. We don't seek you in all these things. We don't have self-discipline so often of the time. And we thank you that you're gracious and that you're loving and that you wait on us. And I pray that we would just, uh, even today, begin afresh, excited about following hard after you in all things, simply because of who you are and the way that you've loved us, that you deserve our devotion. We pray that we would seek to do that ever more each and every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.